0: Good evening, everybody. I'm getting to the pod a little late tonight. Um, let's see. Eight Tuesday. Ugh, still March, huh? March 31st, 8.32 p.m. Um, I was downstairs with with Tatum hanging. She was watching a movie, but then the movie, she said, there are no, I don't like the things in this movie. And then we had to switch it up. So, um, anyway, Now I'm up here and my husband has Tatum and so I'm ready to record. So uh, we're going to discuss chapter five tonight and things fall apart. But first I want to tell y'all about my day because that's how I do it on English Teacher Radio and then we're going to end with some shout outs. Okay, let's talk about my day. first of all, something has happened in my house recently and I'm calling it the cookie crisis. I don't want to tell you what happened. So I think I've discussed this a lot earlier. Maybe I haven't, but food is like a big deal in my house. And I don't know if you guys are going through the same thing where this is the situation. You basically have nowhere to go and nothing to do, right? So the things that you look forward to become sort of like smaller. (laughs) I don't know how else to explain it. So in my house, we all really look forward to dessert. I think I've talked about this before. And, you know, we eat every meal together now. And after like lunch, sometimes lunch and always dinner, we're like kind of looking at each other like, what's uh, what's for dessert? Like what's going on? Anyway, so there has been a cookie shortage around here. But I've also talked about this before. Like I recently went to the grocery store, which was a terrifying experience. And now I really made a commitment to not go to the grocery store. Um, because I don't want to go anymore. My husband says he'll go, but I don't want him to go either. Um, you know, social distancing, I'm taking it very seriously. I would like to take my risk down to, you know, I want as low risk as possible. I don't want to basically go out in public anymore. Maybe your family isn't being this extreme. Um, but that's just where I'm at. So I had said to everyone, hey, I did I did this like grocery store pickup. They didn't have any. I think I, I swore like I ordered cookies. I don't know why they didn't make it home. We've been out of cookies for I think like two or three days. And people were starting to get a little antsy. So I said like I'm not going to the grocery store. But here's the thing. All of the grocery delivery places around here are obviously super jammed. And like you can't get grocery pickup or grocery delivery because it takes so long. So then I finally found this little market where I could like secretly email my order to them. And I ordered, I ordered three, um, three, I don't know how, like boxes of Oreos. Um, and I find the cookie crisis finally came to an end, but I will say like, I kept blaming the cookie crisis on other people in the house. Like if you guys could just sacrifice a little bit and be able to live without cookies, you barbarians. We wouldn't be in this mess. And then after the Oreos got here, like I know for a fact I have eaten more Oreos than anyone else in my house as of right now. Don't tell anyone that because it's a lot easier to shame them for their Oreo addiction than it is to admit that I'm the worst of everyone in the house. But um, but I, I think I've eaten a lot of Oreos today. So whew, the cookie crisis has been handled for now. I mean, hopefully we can keep ourselves under control around here. Um, but yeah, that was kind of a funny silver lining to my day is like, you know, we have quote shortages, but like we really, we don't because the store's always open. I just don't really want to go to it. Um, I took a walk with my daughter in the stroller and I always love doing that. And I think it's going to be warm and sunny tomorrow. Hello. Oh my gosh, I don't know about you, I feel like, um, we're trapped in these clouds, guys. If you saw Frozen 2, Frozen 2 peeps, I'm feeling you right now. (laughs) Fist bump. Um, I feel like the people who are trapped in the, you know, in the thing at the the beginning of Frozen 2, they've never seen the sky. That's how I feel on these cloudy days with these depressing news headlines. So, um... Yeah, just lots of crazy, fun family time, and we've been doing pretty well, but it's only Tuesday. I think I said this. The wheels really come off on Thursday, so that'll be an interesting episode. Um, All right, listen up. So today we're going to talk about Chapter 5 and Things Fall Apart, and then tomorrow is going to be Poetry Wednesday, and I actually have a surprise for you guys tomorrow. So please make sure you tune in tomorrow night. Okay, let's get started. So Chapter 5... I actually want to read the first paragraph and a half of chapter 5 to and then kind of work with that material moving forward. Okay, so chapter 5 starts on page 43. The feast of the new yam was approaching and Umofia was in a festival mood. It was an occasion for giving thanks to Ani, the earth goddess and the source of all fertility. Ani played a greater part in the life of the people than any other deity. She was the ultimate judge of morality and conduct, and what was more, she was in close communion with the departed fathers of the clan whose bodies had been committed to the earth. The feast of the new yam was held every year before the harvest began to honor the earth goddess and the ancestral spirits of the clan. New yams could not be eaten until some had first been offered to these powers. Men and women, young and old, looked forward to the new yam festival because it began the season of plenty, the new year. On the last night before the festival, yams of the old year were disposed of by those who still had them. The new year must begin with tasty, fresh yams and not the shriveled, fibrous crop of the previous year. All the cooking pots, calabashes, and wooden bowls were thoroughly washed, especially the wooden mortar in which the yam was pounded. Yam foo-foo and vegetable soup was the chief food in the celebration. So much of it was cooked that no matter how heavily the family ate or how many neighbors and relatives they invited from neighboring villages, there was always a large quantity of food left over at the end of the day. Okay, so there's a bunch of things I want to talk about here. I mean, this is why I love this book is because there's so much. The first thing you want to notice, and we haven't talked about this yet, is that Ani is one god of many gods that the Igbo people worship. So they are they believe in many gods, which we call polygamy. And in, um, in the web, wait, what, what did I just say? Polygamy. That's not what I meant to say. Polygamy means that you're married to more than one person. We call this polytheism. What is wrong with you, Miss Ford? Oh, nothing. You're just exhausted after chasing after three kids all day and you just pounded six Oreos. Okay. okay let's back it up. Polytheism means that you believe in more than one God. Um, monotheism means that you believe in one God. You guys know that all three major Western religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all of those are monotheistic. And again, we've talked about this before, but there's just a lot in this book that's going to make you rethink some things. So anyway, the Igbo people are polytheistic. Now, if you read... The article by um, Candace Bradley, or if you know, I know we didn't read the whole thing, but there was at the end one of the six stereotypes of Africa that was created in the 20th century was the fact that they are what was the word she used? Something to the effect of like they lack religion, right? Like they need to be, um, you know, we all know that like the missionaries are the missionaries in real life come to this region and that's what's going to happen in this part of the book. And obviously, oh, I think she calls them, I think, I think the word is pagan, that they like worship nature, but kind of in this devil way. That's the perception that the West has of them. And the polytheistic religion, like this sense of polytheism, um, is one of the things that, as you can imagine, like puts them at odds with the West, right? Um, When the missionaries show up, they're going to say things like, oh, you worship many idols. That's, of course, like kind of a big deal in Christianity. You cannot worship many idols. And um, remember, we're here in the book to understand. that This is our one goal right now, is to understand all the systems, traditions, customs that the Igbo people have. And so a big element of their religious belief is that they believe in many gods. And the gods do Different things. Um, so that's the first thing that I want to say is that it's a polytheistic polytheistic religion, and um, they everything is really tied to again the land, the harvest. The second thing I want to add is, and this is going to come up a lot, and I want you to pay attention to this as you read: is it says that they they hold the harvest, they hold the New yim, the feast of the New Yam to honor the Earth Goddess and the ancestral spirits of the clan. Okay. The ancestors of the clan are everything, guys. They're everything. And, and the ancestors are the people who, who, who like, are of your family or of your clan who have died. Um, you worship their spirits. Like, their spirits are super important to the family, um, to the Igbo people. And so the other thing is that you want to keep in mind is that, like, okay, if the basis, if one of the major pillars or elements of the religion is that, the ancestors are worshipped after they die, then you as a living person, one of your goals is going to be to make sure that you become an ancestral spirit who gets worshipped, okay? Um, Because if you don't, it's like, that's, you know, again, they don't have heaven and hell. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But like, you want to, your quote, heaven, just how like in traditional forms of Christianity, it's all about like making sure you get to heaven in this religion. It's all about making sure that you get to be an ancestral spirit <clears throat> because if you're not an ancestral spirit, you know, you don't really have any, anything after you don't have anything to look forward to in death. The, the The best thing I can say is if, have you seen the movie Coco? Have you? Okay. First of all, if you haven't seen it, stop the podcast and go watch it and bring a, bring a box of tissues, everybody. Oh my lord, that movie made me cry. But it is a beautiful, beautiful movie. It has nothing to do with the Igbo people, but it's all about um, the belief in the afterlife and how this, how the how the <clears throat> the Day of the Dead is celebrated. And oh, it's just an incredible movie. But if you've seen it, you know that like the memory, it's really important for them to remember the people who have died. And if your picture doesn't show up on the altar, which I can't remember the name um then you like disintegrate in the afterlife. Go watch Coco. Oh my goodness. It is so good. I mean, you got the time. Let's be real. Um so that's kind of it. That's just another thing to keep in mind. And and they will emphasize that point a lot, but that's something that I would bring up to you if you were in my class right now. Okay. Notice also you guys that you know, we're going to have moments where the Igbo people are going to look like every other culture on the planet, including the West. And I, what I mean by that is, oh, they have a huge celebration. They invite as many people as they know. They cook so much food that it's impossible to finish all of it. And that's pretty much how as Americans, you know, we do things like when we have, um, we have some holidays coming up in the month of April. I know my family will celebrate Easter. And like, if you, if you host, if you probably know this from your own family, if you host a meal, you have to have a ridiculous amount of food. It's just a rule. If, if a guest walks in and it looks like there won't be enough for everyone to have four plates full of food, you, you know, you as the host feel like a tragic disappointment. So in that, in that way, they, they will, there's all sorts of ceremonies, traditions and customs where you will be like, yeah, you'll think like, yeah, we do the same thing. Like that's really interesting over a hundred years later. And on the other side of the planet, we're doing the same, we're doing a very similar thing. Okay. Um, Here are some other things I want to talk about. Oh, Okonkwo. If you're waiting to like Okonkwo, that's not coming. Not happening, guys. So if you read, you know that one of Okonkwo's wives, um, he, I'll just read the excerpt. Uh, Without further argument, Okonkwo gave her a sound beating and left her and her only daughter weeping. I mean, the guy just goes nuts. And I think you're going to find this pattern is that Okako is going to have a lot of emotions. But instead of of acknowledging, acting on, talking about any emotion, he will just find someone to rage on. And that's just, that is who he is. I'm not excusing it. I'm telling you that that's who he is as a character. If you don't like him, that's a completely normal reaction. The guy can be a huge jerk. Um, okay. So then we meet these two really important female characters. And one of them is Okonkwo's wife and her, her name is spelled E K W E F Y. I And I call her Akwafi. I don't know if that's how I actually say it. And then she has a daughter named Azinma. Now, before we talk about the daughter, I just want you guys to know that both of those female characters become, are, are really important to the book. Um, so Akwafi is Okonkwo's second wife. He was the one who, that he, He um, threatened with a gun. And then what we learned about her is that she fell in love with Okonkwo a long time ago and was married at the time and then ran away from her husband to be with (laughs) Okonkwo. If if we were in class together, everyone would be like, wait, what? She wanted to be with this guy? We, you know, Okonkwo, I mean, he's like really big and strong. He was a great wrestler. She had the hots for him. Anyway, now she's 45 years old, and we're going to learn a lot more about Aquefi. She has had a tragic story, um, and we're going to learn a lot more about her. Okay, so her only daughter, she has one kid, which you may have guessed, like, that is not a desirable situation to only bear one child, and we'll, we'll learn a lot more about that later, but she has a daughter whom she absolutely adores, and you're going to like her, too. Her name is Azima, and Azima is 10 years old. Um, okay. So you'll notice Kemi Fluna is fitting in and doing his thing. And then at the end of this chapter, we have this really adorable, I don't even want to say adorable. That's going too far, but We have this moment between Okonkwo and Ozima and Ozima is like the, I think the mom describes her as wise beyond her years. And she is, she's just a kid that like the adults like to be around. She's, she can be very responsible. Um, she and her mother are extremely close and she is a kid, but she's, she's, she's seen as the adult by more than just a kid. Um, and she's like, okay, and, and I know I, I know you know this, but Azima is a girl, and this is a really interesting situation because it says on page 51, um, she says, oh, can I bring your chair for you when they go to watch the wrestling, and he says, no, that is a boy's job, and he says, Okonkwo was especially fond of Azima, and that's true. He adores this girl, but again, you know, he doesn't ever show that, but that doesn't mean he doesn't feel it, you know, and I, again, I'm not trying to excuse him, but as a complex character, you need to understand that he is going to feel all sorts of ways, but he is not going to act on those feelings, unless it's anger, of course. But anyway, he adores Azenma, and um, and you just have to know that. The other thing you have to know is that gender is a huge deal in this book. Um, I know I talked a little bit about that last time with Nooye, Nuoye does not like to do the manly work that Okonquo likes to do. And again, like manly is in quotes. He doesn't like to work the fields like Okonquo. Azima, on the other hand, is gonna have a lot of, again, these are all in quotes. She's gonna have a lot of quote, like masculine traits. She's very forthright. Um, she speaks her mind, she kind of can stand her ground. Okonkwo adores her. And at one point he's gonna say to himself that she should have been born a boy. And I find that comment just fascinating and interesting in this culture the gender roles are just so specific that if you are a girl who demonstrates certain qualities like leadership or power right you don't quite fit with your gender because of the role is so predetermined and with a boy like Nuoye he is going to be sensitive. He wants to listen to the stories of his mother. Um, he like really cares for people. And and he acts on those feelings. And because of that, he's going to find it very difficult to grow up a boy in this culture. And again, if we were together, I mean, I would love to have these conversations with you guys. Um, Nuoye, you can guess, has a, a really hard time with his dad. Um, Azima. She's going to have kind of her own storyline, but just know for now that she has one path and that is to marry a man from maybe another, maybe, or not maybe, but she's going to marry a man and she will be one of many wives. Um, Also, I'm sure you guys notice that like Oconvo gets like two or three dinners. Like every wife cooks him a dinner. He sits in his hut or his obi, and he waits for his dinner to be delivered. In so many ways, this book is just like patriarchy, capital P, bull, garbage, whatever swear word you want to use. And it's hard to read as a Westerner and be let, and like, stay quote open and reserve your judgment. I shouldn't even say as a Westerner. I'm sure it doesn't matter who you are when you read this. In many ways, you're like, wow, this really sucks for the women. And Okonko can just beat the snot out of his wife. And that's of no consequence. And Okonko has... Like, you know, there are consequences for characters, but he never has to answer to anyone for that. And I know that's frustrating for you as a reader, but again, Achebe, I think it's really important for him. He doesn't want to give you a utopia. Okay. He doesn't want to say, oh, everything was perfect until the Europeans showed up because that is not true. That's not true. There are going to be some major issues within this society that that you're gonna want people to address. Trust me, but when the Europeans do show up, they you know both sides could really gain a lot from each other. Um, but you know how that story ends. You know nothing is gained from either side. Um, and I'll ask more questions about that later. Like at a certain point when the Europeans show up, I'm gonna ask you like, hey, the Igbo people actually do need things. What are the things they need? And the problem is, of course, is that the Europeans will not be able to actually see what they need, because in order to see what these people actually need, they're going to have to understand them. And the Europeans refuse to do that. Okay. I hope I didn't say too much. I, so tomorrow, guys, just FYI, I'm going to change the schedule a little bit, and I'll post this to Classroom. Tomorrow on the pod is going to be not going to be Chapter 6. Um, it's Poetry Wednesday. I have a special surprise for you, so make sure you tu- tune in, and then I'm going to discuss Chapter 6. I'll, I'll drop the questions for Chapters 4 through 6 tomorrow morning, and then we'll discuss Chapter 6 on Thursday, okay? Okay, guys, thanks for listening. Um, let's do some shout-outs. These are just um, shout-out to some people who showed me some love on Instagram and shout-out to some people who are doing their work on their, um, on their rough draft. So shout-out to Quinn, Skylar, Kyla, Danny. Shout-out to Natalie, Alfonso, Michael. Um, hold on. I think I might have a couple more. Oh, maybe I can't find them. Um, if you've been doing work on your – on your draft. Oh, Lindsay, who else has been? Oh, Elise, if you've been doing work on your drafts guys, um, I'm, I'm seeing you do it and I'm proud of you. If you have not, (laughs) if you're like, I'm not writing this paper, um, that's okay. But I want you to email me and tell me what you are doing to help your brain. Make sure your brain doesn't slide back to beginning of senior year. I don't mean to guilt you into doing work if you're in a bad, anxious place, but at the same time, I just want to make sure that we're getting ready. I want to make sure that we're like looking, we're like looking ahead. Where are we all going to be next year? So many of you, I know you can't imagine it now because the world is in such a weird place and you're probably thinking like, what's going to happen to all this stuff in the future? Guys, this is temporary. Don't forget that. It may not feel that way right now. And I know you have all had a lot of disappointments, but this is temporary, okay? How temporary? I can't answer that, and nobody can. But I just want you to know that it's not always going to be like this, I promise you. And that the future that you have imagined for yourself might look different in smaller ways, maybe more immediate ways, but but the long game, you going to college, all the dreams that you set out to achieve for yourself, those are still possible. And I never want you to forget that. Okay. (sighs) I love you all very much. Thanks for tuning in tonight. And I will be back again tomorrow with, um, with your surprise. Okay. Good night guys.